Hopefully you guys all had a good Thanksgiving. Our family drove 10 hours to Missouri, and it was a long trip, and my knee hurts today. I'd like to tell you that I heard it, you know, playing backyard football or something like that, but it actually, I think, was because I had my feet propped up on the dashboard while we were riding for a long time. I kind of fell asleep that way, and I think I, I tore my ACL or something. I don't know. <laughs> but I am not being insincere when I say this, and this, this just blows my mind, that this feels like home to me and my family, and it's an awesome thing. And I was, the whole time I was away, Missouri's not great anyway. <laughs> and people on purpose changed the name to Misery for that reason. But uh, even though it's not great, I still was the whole time I was thinking about being back here and being with you guys, and we love it here at Clarksburg Baptist Church. And we, we're so happy to be with you guys. Let's pray, and uh, we'll jump into series number six. This is an eight-week series. We're almost done. Those of you who are so bored of the book of Ephesians, first off, you need to get right with God, because it's all about Him. Second off, we'll be done in a few weeks, but I'm excited about what we're going to talk about uh, this morning, so let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you, uh, God, just for the spirit that we've had this morning, God, and uh, Lord, thank you that when you called my name, I ran out of that grave, God. Thank you that... Uh, you bring uh, life where there was death, God. Lord, I pray that you today would uh, do that in our hearts, Lord. I pray you would draw us to you, God, and speak to us through your word this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So, so far in this study by J.D. Greer on the book of Ephesians, we've really learned some awesome things. Last week, we learned that we need to grow up and be a mature Christian, and we define that a little bit. That means we need to stop making excuses and do what's right. And so for those of us that are followers of Christ and we've been a Christian for a while, that means we should already have our daily Bible reading covered. We should have an avid prayer life. We should be witnessing and telling people about Jesus. We should know why we believe what we believe now, if you've been saved in the last year or so, you're still growing and you're still coming to know God. But I've been saved since I was eight. I've been saved for 25 years of my life. And that means I should, I should have some things covered by now, you would think, right? I should, I should start to begin to mature. And, and these simple things like spending time alone with God and tithing and telling others about Jesus, I should be spiritually mature in these areas. Now, Paul isn't putting a guilt trip on us. He's telling the church that when you love Christ, out of your love of Christ, you change your actions. And because of the love of Christ, we begin to say, all right, God, you've been so good to me. How can I please you with my actions? See, the gospel changes us when we let it in. And it's for your good. That's what the most amazing thing is. God doesn't put these things in his word just to make you jump through hoops. They're for your good. Now, Paul goes in on the second half of chapter 4 and says this in verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. How do Gentiles walk? They walk in the futility of their minds. Why? Because they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. 
In the first part of the chapter, he says, stop acting like spiritual babies. And here Paul says, hey, stop acting like lost people. Now, when I say that word lost, if you're not been in church very long, that means someone that has uh, rejected God. And Paul is saying here, stop acting like someone that's rejected God. See, when he says Gentiles here, he doesn't mean people that are not Jewish, but rather those that are not redeemed and part of God's family. Paul says here that the unsaved don't have a clear understanding of life. They are separated from God. They are ignorant of the things of God because their hearts are blind. In the beginning of the chapter, he says, grow up. And here he says, stop acting like you don't know God. Stop acting like you don't know God with the way that you live your life. And we give Peter a lot of grief for this, right? He, and the, the night of, uh, before the resurrection, Peter denied Christ three times. And we give him a lot of flack for that. But how many times have we denied Christ with our actions, with the way that we talk and the way that we act and our mindset and our outlook on the world? See, when we act like a person who lives for the world, we deny that we know Christ. And we talk like the world, we deny that we know Christ. See, how we act and think and talk needs to be different than just the average unchurched person. Paul says, stop acting like a person that's rejected Christ. Stop acting like you don't know any better. See, a lost person really doesn't understand. Why? Because the Bible says their hearts are blind and they're ignorant to the things of God. And here Paul says, don't act like that. Now, obviously, every person that rejects God is not necessarily a morally bad person, but they're disconnected and they cannot be expected to understand the things of God. Paul describes in the next verse what these people uh, look like a little bit in verse 19. It says, they have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and to practice every kind of impurity. See, this world that we often emulate has given itself over to lust and impurity and greed, and it's callous to the things of God. I was scrolling through Yahoo News uh, not long ago, and I came across an article, and this was the title. You ready? It said this. It says, how to know if he likes you after a hookup. So not only are you not married, you're giving yourself to someone that you're not married. Not only does he not love you, but you're not even sure that he likes you. That's backwards, right? That's messed up. How to know if he likes you after a hookup. That's all wrong. I think in Genesis it says, first comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes a baby in the baby carriage, right? Everybody knows that. I think it's Genesis chapter 8. But seriously, that's just a picture into the fact that the world has given itself over to lust, impurity, and greed. And it's callous to sin. And now it's ingrained in our culture. So the things of the Bible no longer make sense to the world because it's so diametrically opposed to how the culture thinks. And because of that, people look at the Bible and say it's full of hate and, and judgment and all that kind of stuff. But that's how God intended us to live. Why? Because it's for our own Good. But the sad thing is, is Christians are acting the same way many times. But we are created by God for God. That's why you were made. You were made by God and for God. And when we are most satisfied is when we fulfill that purpose. 
when you live for God. But see, when we live for ourselves, we become obsessed with wanting to fill the void inside of us with anything, with money, with, with family, with sex, drugs, adrenaline, notoriety. This world out there knows that it's missing something. And so many times we frank, uh, frank, frantically, that's the word I'm looking at, frankly, frantically, we know we're missing something and we frantically are looking to find a way to fill that void inside of us. But see, the problem is the things of the world only fill it temporarily. So that's the question for you today. The first thing we're going to ask you is something missing for you today. What you're missing is God, his presence, his affirmation, his love. And you might think, Pastor Phil, I've tried God. I've tried all that. God didn't help. I even went to church three weeks in a row one time. <laughs> Look, if your neighbor has a car and he's always out there working on it, right? And you see him in his driveway. It looks like a nice enough car. It's kind of new. But he's always out there working on it. You would assume that the car was a lemon, right? Man. But then he comes over and tells you, yeah, every once in a while, I tap, uh, top my tank off with a gallon of water. It's cheaper, and it's easier. The hose is right there. I just put a little water in it just to get it all the way up to full, just to make it run a little better, just to, just to get to work. You wouldn't blame the car. You wouldn't blame the maker if the car wasn't running right in that scenario, correct? But see, so often we do that with our lives. You weren't made to run on the things of this world. And we fill ourselves up with that stuff, but it is not what you were made to run on. So we cannot blame the maker that our car is not running right. It wasn't built to run over those conditions. And also you would say, stop doing that. Stop it. Stop uh, topping your tank off with water. That's silly. I know it's cheaper, and yes, it's easier, but you weren't made to run that way. The Christian walk is similar. Sure, we get filled up with the right stuff every once in a while, and we get excited about God, but then we fill our lives with garbage and negativity, and then we blame the maker that we aren't running right. So what are you running on this morning? Are you really a disciple of Christ? The word disciple has this idea of an apprentice, someone that is studying under someone. If you've gone to any of these fairs that are all over, many times they have glass blowers. And you often have this master glass blower who just knows exactly what to do. He heats up the glass and then he blows in it just the perfect amount of pressure and it, and it forms into the shape that it's supposed to be. But many times that master has another young man behind him and he's watching and he's studying what that master is doing. And that's that same idea of discipleship. We are supposed to be studying who Christ is and how he did what he did on this earth. That's why it's so amazing. And that's why it's so important for you to read your Bible. Because the Bible contains the words and works of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh lived out life so that you would know how to live. And so we're supposed to be an apprentice to Christ. But there's an important thing about an apprentice is eventually that knowledge has got to be put into action. See, eventually he's got to do it on his own. Eventually he has to come alongside and say, all right, now it's my turn. And yeah, there's going to be times where you make mistakes and there's going to be times where you break some glass, but the point is to learn and to come alongside 
Are you really a disciple of Christ? Are you really an apprentice of Christ? Or you just get filled up with Christ every once in a while, maybe when you need him or maybe when you're feeling bad about yourself, but you mostly run on the water of this world. See, don't say it doesn't work if you've never really been willing to try it for any length of time. You have to run on gas for a while. I worked at a mechanic uh, at one point, and I wasn't a mechanic. I was a guy that sat at the desk and smiled real big and, and tried to talk you down from being real angry. Uh, that's why I'm so good with some of you guys. Uh, <laughs> but there were several times where we had people that had water in their gas tank, and that is a huge deal. It was mostly diesels that would come in, and they'd get water in their gas tank, and it would get up in their engine, and that was the whole thing. You had to take the gas tank out and drain it, and then you had to go through the engine and get all the contaminants out, and that's what some of us need to do with our lives because we've been running on the wrong things for so long. Paul says, stop that. Stop living like you're lost and then blaming God that you're unhappy and dissatisfied. Verse number 20 goes on. It says this, that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. It says here to put off your old self. That's who you are before you were saved. Put that off. It belongs to the former manner of your life and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. And it says next to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self. That's who you are in Christ. Put that on. Because it's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It says, put off who you were and then dive into Christ. Seek Christ. Learn about Christ. Connect to Christ. See, we have more opportunity than we ever have to be able to learn about Christ. There is more books than there's ever been written. You have access in your pocket, on your phone, at all times to all types of theology and all types of studies. Your Bible has 1,700 different versions on it in your pocket. And you have every opportunity and every chance to learn about God. There's an app that I like to listen to every once in a while, and uh, it gives you a different perspective. It's called Streetlights, and it's a Bible reading where these Christian rappers kind of rap the Bible a little bit, and they're just reading the Bible. I I know that might scare some of you. (laughs) But what I'm saying here is you have every opportunity. Maybe you're a person that can only digest it in that way. That's amazing. Do it. Find it. Press towards it. We have no excuse to not get connected with God except for just sheer apathy. The more you fill yourself with Christ, the more that you begin to leave that worldly stuff behind and you become a new person, one that lives the way that God intends for you to live. My pastor growing up used to give the illustration of a young boy who was going to get water down at the uh, river, and his grandpa told him, hey, take this dirty old basket and go get some water. Well, the boy looks at it. It's got holes all in it. What are you talking about, Grandpa? So he runs down, and he gets some water out of the river, and he brings it back. But by the time he gets it back, it's empty. So he goes back again, and he scoops up some water, and he brings it back to his grandpa. Once again, it's empty. All right, come on, boy. Get a little faster. So he runs in. He gets it. He runs all. It's, it's empty. And the boy says, Grandpa, this is useless. Why am I doing this? And the grandpa says, well, look at the basket. That dirty old basket looked brand new now. It was clean. 
And see, sometimes when we read our Bibles, we might not understand everything that we get out of it. Everything we see in the words of God might not just click in our brain. But the more that you push it through your heart, the cleaner it's going to get. And you're going to catch some things. And you might not retain everything in God's word, but it's going to clean out the basket of your heart. See, what you're missing today is God. So here is the issue. Don't just try to be a better person. Don't just try and turn over a new leaf. But instead, focus on delighting in God. And you will begin to want to obey and follow God instead of following the lusts of this world. See, the more that you learn about the beauty of Jesus, the more that you'll want to be like him. And the more that you know about him, the more that you will love him. And the more that you know about him, the more that you want to know about him. But see, if you're here this morning and you have no desire for the things of God and you have no desire to learn more about God, you need to check that out. That should be an alarm in your heart. You should say, hey, what's wrong? The challenge today is, what if you just dove into God's word? You dove into prayer and to worship, not just in this room, but throughout the week. See, I dare you to stop filling yourself with the world for a few weeks and start running on Jesus. Why? It's because that's what you were made to run on. And when we see the beauty of God, that's when we're changed. See, for a long time, I tried to live my life just trying to do the right thing and, and to act right. But that's actually just moralism. That means how good I am means how much value I have. But I was miserable, and I was judgmental, and I was critical, and I had a dirty heart. No matter how much I tried to beat my flesh into submission, I couldn't do it. And it wasn't until someone told me that God had to do the changing, that I began to have joy in my Christian walk. God, I can't do it. God, I know I will fail you. You have to do it in me. So I surrender to you. I, wait, I raise my white flag. So you can be saved and still live a lot like this world, a lot like this unredeemed world. You're going to be miserable, but you can do it. J.D. Greer says this. He says, living in the gospel is when the Spirit of God uses the story of God to make the beauty of God to come alive in our hearts. Living in the gospel is when the spirit of God uses the story of God to make the beauty of God come alive in our hearts. See, we'll never get past that old story. There's an old hymn that says that. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me that story most precious, the sweetest that it's ever been heard. That old story will never get over it. And if you're bored about hearing how Jesus died for you, you're not going to like heaven that much. Because we're going to keep looking at the beauty of how God created this world and how man fell and how God made a bridge to get back to him through Jesus Christ that never gets old. And that's when real change happens. It's when we allow that beauty that God has in himself to change who we are. That's why the Bible says that we're supposed to be a new creature. Not the same creature that just acts a little bit better, but a different person. And that's changing your desire from the worldly temporary desires to desiring God. And God does the work when we surrender everything to him. 
See, the Christian life, when lived the right way, should produce joy and not shame and guilt. And when that change is made, there's going to be some signs. And we're going to see what that looks like in the next verses. See if you can tell how the Bible says we're going to be different. We're going to be a new self. We're going to be renewed and changed. Look in verse 25. This is going to tell us how we're going to begin to live like a person who's not rejecting Christ. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger. Give uh, no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You'll hear Christians talk a lot about how God blesses them and God blesses them. But God only blesses you so that you can bless other people. That's how it works. And if God gives us an opportunity in our job to get a raise, that means you have more to bless other people with. And the more that you bless other people, God will bless you and he'll reward that. But just so that you can bless people more. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. Hold on. Let me go back. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. But only such as good for the building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those that hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Listen to this last verse. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, what is this saying? Some people believe that when you become a Christian, you just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. You just say a little prayer and you get a little fire insurance. But that's not how the Bible looks at it. The Bible looks at it way different. God looks at it way different. He says, no, when you become saved, your old self is supposed to die. Right? That's not just a little thing. That's a big thing. You're supposed to become a new person that acts different. And you're supposed to produce some different things. A person that's become enamored with Christ is going to begin to stop lying and stop holding things against each other. Not allow the devil to ruin relationships with other Christians. No more stealing. And instead, working hard, giving to the needy. They'll stop talking with filthy talk, but instead speak the words that will help people. They'll put away anger, revenge, drama, gossip, and instead they will be kind to people. And care about people, forgiving people. Why? Because Jesus forgave so much for us. See, Christ forgave you of an innumerable amount of things. And that means that we're supposed to forgive others. So that when they say something offensive or they talk bad about us or they betray us or they forget about us or annoy us or lie about us or judge us, we as Christians forgive them even if they don't apologize. Why? Because Jesus forgave us when we did all those things to other people. Matthew 18, 21 tells a story of a man who uh, owed another man 10,000 talents. Now, it already sounds like a lot, but when you understand that in the Greek, the number system only went up to 10,000. So this is an infinity, basically, amount of money that he owed to this man. Also, 
it, it was a talent was a month's wages. So this man owed another man an infinity amount of months' wages. The debtor falls on his knees, and he begs not to get thrown into jail. He knows if he goes in there, he'll never come out. And he says, please, please, I'll do anything. Please, give me more time. I, 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 I promise I'll figure something out. But the man that he owes says this, no, you can't have more time because I already forgave you of all your debt. You can never pay it back. It was an infinity amount, but I've wiped that debt clean. You don't owe me anything. Can you imagine that? Imagine this. If the bank called you today and said, hey, I know you owe a lot on your house, but just forget about it. Don't worry about it. And this, how much more is this amount of money? This guy's walking on air as he's going home. He's so shocked. He's got to go home and tell his wife about what happened. I know I, know I didn't know if I was going to come home, but actually what he did, he didn't just give me more time. No, he forgave me. He wiped the debt clean. But as he's walking joyously home, he sees a guy coming towards him that he bought a Mountain Dew last week, about $1.50, and he grabs him by the neck. He says, if you don't give me my money, you're going to jail. That's what the Bible tells us in Matthew 18. Who would do something like that, right? You've just been forgiven. Why would you hold a friend responsible for $1.50 when you've just been forgiven an infinity amount? But see, that's the point. It's absurd. And it is just as absurd when you hold things against people, when you've been forgiven an innumerable amount. See, when we refuse to forget and refuse to forgive people, that shows that we do not understand what Jesus did for us. We've forgotten who we were. See, the only way that you can hold something over somebody is if you think you're better than them. You think, I would never do that. But here's the thing, you did way worse and you might not know it, it might not have came out, but in your mind, the Bible says when we hate, it's just like murder. When we lust, it's just like adultery. And that is who we are before God, and he forgave us. So that means when you go out and you see that person that owes you $1.50, you better forgive them. Why? Because of what you've been forgiven for. Be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Here's another question today. Who are you holding $1.50 over their head when you were forgiving 10,000 talents? Who are you giving the silent treatment? Who did you just get into a shouting match with? Who are you no longer friends with? Who did you just talk bad about today? See, good works don't earn you salvation. They don't get you to heaven. But they flow out of your salvation. And they are proof of your salvation. The Bible says that we can't know people's hearts, but the Bible does say by your fruit, we shall know you. And by the way that you produce good works, it doesn't save you, but it flows from your salvation. But see, too many of us, rather than revisiting and remembering and exploring what Jesus did and does for us, instead we live by the world's rules. But see, grace is what's supposed to set us apart from other religions. 
I don't know where it happened where Christians became judgmental and critical and unforgiving. That's the opposite of who we're supposed to be. But that's what our, the world says we are. They say, I can't come into the church because they'll look at me wrong. And they, they, they'll find out about what I did on Friday night and they'll want me to get out of their church. When did that happen? We're supposed to be known by our grace and our forgiveness. Grace is what sets us apart. The idea that you don't give people what they deserve. The idea that you don't give them a piece of your mind. And you don't show them that you should be taken seriously. No, we're supposed to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So are you living like a lost person today? Are you saved? Are, have you accepted Christ, but you're still living like that old former self? Like a person that's rejected Jesus? Like living by the, world that the, uh, the rules that this world puts out? Or are you trying to live like Christ? See, even the world knows that we should forgive people. How much more should we forgive? Because we have the example in Jesus Christ. Are you running on the garbage of this world? Or are you filled with the love and desire to know Christ? And you might know something missing, but you say, well, church and the Bible and God, it just doesn't really work for me. But have you ever really given yourself completely over to Christ? No strings attached. And filled yourself with Christ daily. It might take a few days. It might take a few weeks to start to feel the effects. But sometimes you have to get the garbage and negativity out of your system and run on what you were made to run on. So dive into Christ. Connect with Christ. Pursue Christ. Push towards Christ. And you will begin to leave the temporary and pointless things of this world behind. And you will find the satisfaction that you're living the way that God made you to live in harmony with him. The band's going to come. We're going to stand to our feet and close our eyes and bow our heads. Here's the question for you this morning. Are you holding a $1.50 over someone's head when you've been forgiven an infinity amount? Are your priorities the same as the priorities of a person that's rejected Christ? What have you been running on, the temporary worldly things or eternal spiritual things? See, these are big lessons in Ephesians. No wonder he asked us to grow up first, right? He, he knew this was coming. And I don't know about you, but these things are hard for me to hear. I've got some things to work on. This is a hard message that Ephesians preaches to our heart. Stop living like a person that's unredeemed. Stop living like a person that rejected Christ. Who are you holding things over their head? Have you given it all to Jesus? He's the only one that's worthy of it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. The altar's open. God dealt to your heart and spoke to your heart about something. Come down and deal with him about it. There's something special about walking out, saying, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I don't care if they think I'm a sinner. You know what? They're right. I am a sinner. But my God loves me so much, I'm not embarrassed. If God speaks to your heart, you come this morning. Maybe there's someone in this room that you need to go to. 
whisper in their ear and say, please forgive me, I've been holding something over your head. Please forgive me, I haven't given you a second chance. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure if you died today that heaven would be your home. You're not sure that you are even a child of God. We talked about the lost person. You say, I I think that might be me. I don't remember a time when I called out to God and I asked him to forgive me of my sins and to save me. That's a one-time event in your life, a place that you can go back to. For me, it was in February 1993. An eight-year-old boy got down on his knees and cried out to God, said, God, I know I was a sinner. God, I know I, I can't get to heaven on my own, and I need you. Forgive me. The Bible says that we're all sinners, and because of our sin, we fall short of the glory of God. It goes on to say that the wages, what we earn for our sin is death in a place called hell. Eternal separation from God. Why? Because God cannot fellowship with sin. And you might say, well, that's harsh. But it's not. Because God commended his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, we deserved hell because we broke God's laws. And we lied and we cheated and we thought wicked thoughts and we said wicked things and we held things against people. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place and to take the punishment that we deserved and to put on himself the sin. The Bible even says that he became sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might become the sons of God. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's you here today. Well, you can't remember a time and a place where you called out to God. Maybe your parents said, yeah, when you were a little kid, don't you remember? And you kind of don't even remember it. I wouldn't put my faith in anything that I can't remember. You could call out to God right now and get it settled once and for all. It's not a magic prayer. And like we said, it's not fire insurance. It's a real change in your heart. You crying out to God with something like this. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I know I deserve hell because of my sin. Forgive me, God. I'm turning from that old self. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. Save me. Thank you, Lord. That's you today. You prayed that prayer. You weren't just messing around. You weren't just reciting a prayer, but it was a real decision from your heart. That's you today. I want to pray for you. You just slip your hand up. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to bring you up here or anything. That's you this morning. Amen. You say, that's me, Pastor Phil. I called out to God like that, like you just said. You just slip your hand up. I see that hand. I see that hand as well. I see that one. I'm going to challenge you to do something. In just a minute, we're going to sit down after we sing. And on your connection card... If that's you and you mean it and you're not playing games, you're not ashamed of what you did, 
you write these words down. I chose Jesus. And pass that card in in the offering plate later on. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Dear Jesus, we thank you for those that made that decision today, God. I pray you give them boldness. I pray that you give them uh, a desire to push towards you, God, and draw them to yourself, God. Help them to grow and to mature and to become a spiritual adult, God. Help them to leave behind the things of the old self, God, and to push towards you and to become that new creature that you talk about. God, we love you and we thank you so much. In your name we pray, amen.